Tonight's Colors of the Dark is brought to you by the new scripted horror podcast, Can't Relax. On the weekend before their ACTs, Anya and her friends download a new mobile relaxation app to take the edge off, unaware that it secretly plans murderous subliminal messages into the brains of its listeners. When people start dying, Anya must figure out who planned the corrupted malware on their phones and how to stop it before she becomes a killer herself. Starring Olivia Trujillo for All Mankind, Andre Robinson, Nico and Nico and the Sword of Light, Patrick Labertau from Heathers and introducing Penny Epstein. If you're looking for something scary to listen to while driving, doing dishes or exercising, this is it. It is super tense, but something that is PG-13 enough you could listen with your teens and tweens. We are three episodes in and having a blast. You can find the awesome and scary Can't Relax anywhere you would go for podcasts and discover all the Glisten Plus podcasts at www.glistenplus.com. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, about to leave for Knoxville. And with me, hopefully sitting next to him on the plane, we'll see, Elric Kane. Keeping it spooky. Keeping it spooky. How's your October going? A lot of Halloween rewatching, which was, uh, I didn't think I was going to because I wasn't in the mood, but we're di- we're going to be in a couple weeks doing a big Halloween thing for a screen draft. Screen draft. I found myself getting very sucked into uh, a certain run of films. Not all of them. There, I'm not going to watch all of them, but there's a little run that I wanted to rewatch and have been enjoying. That it kind of set the tone of the season for me pretty nicely. I, I will say that there's um, been a couple that I rewatched. Unsure if I liked it as much as I did the first time. We'll say that a couple of the the slightly campier inclusions or ones that were a little polarized. I felt the need to rewatch to see if I still felt mm-hmm. the same. And I've definitely had some interesting revelations about some of these films that I may have initially been a little bit hard on, but we'll have to see how this all rolls out with screen drafts. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So that will probably be, I don't know, a week or so from it's a I think we're doing that a couple of days before Halloween. So I think it's a couple of days before Halloween. Yeah. And we are headed to Knoxville. Actually, we'll we be will there. be there when mm-hmm. the show comes out. Um, so we are currently in the Knoxville Horror Film Festival. So if you are anywhere in the Knoxville area, um, please find your way to the Knoxville Horror Film Festival and come say hi. We're going to be doing a live show there with Fred Frickin Decker. Yeah, Fred Decker. Um, and there, I think yeah. there's a drive. I think there's still tickets available maybe for the drive-in of two of his mm-hmm. films and Halloween 3. So yeah. good times. Uh, we're looking forward to that very much. Come say hi to us. Yeah. And I just got back from the Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland. So there's so much travel this month. It's just wild. Um, But it was absolutely amazing. Thank you to Gwen and the wonderful team there. It was just an amazing weekend with amazing people. And I got to do a lecture. I got to screen Glorious. Um, I got to be on a bunch of panels. And I got to see um, Suitable Flesh, which we'll be talking about in a sec with filmmaker Joe Lynch. And I got to meet um, one of my favorite things that I always get to do when I traveled is meet some of the local press. So like I got to talk with Eraserhead Press, which is a really cool company. Um, just phenomenal stuff I picked up from them and Tenebrous Press. I also got to meet as well. So just really cool local press out of Portland. You should definitely be checking out their books. And then I also got to do Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, nice. um, but you you did pumpkins yesterday, right? Did you guys go to a pumpkin patch? No, I didn't. I You know what? I wasn't feeling. I, I, I think I caught something maybe at Beyond Fist on the last day. Uh, of a movie that I'm not going to really talk about here. It's the Nick Cage movie, 
uh, mm-hmm. Dream Scenario, which is my favorite film of the year so far. I absolutely just think it was the funniest, best thing I've seen so far this year. But it's not; it, it does have horror elements towards the end. But it, uh, afterwards, I just started feeling a little bit uh, like on the borderline. You know how you get mm-hmm. sometimes, or after trivia, and then so I literally decided to do absolutely nothing for three the last three days, and it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Like I I'm going to start I've... doing that in October more often. I don't think I've ever done that so in good. my life. Um, maybe after the first and second COVID vaccine, those after the first and second COVID vaccine, I felt shitty enough the next day that I like canceled all my meetings and classes and was like, fuck you guys, I'm going to bed. Um, well, it was a weekend. I'm think, saying it was like yeah. a weekend. Oh, it was like a weekend. I'm just watching See, movies want... on a couch is what I'm saying. Instead of going to pre- like there's a friend's birthday that I couldn't go to. Just a bunch of stuff that oh. I had to. See, I want that energy on like some idle Wednesday where I'm just like, fuck you responsibilities. I'm staying here and I'm getting nachos and this is where I am and I need that. I mean, so. after this episode, we're going to take nine months off. So it's okay. <laughs> I can re- I can rebuild my stamina for horror. Don't you mean like a week? Maybe, um, maybe two but, months, but that's okay. Maybe two. Um, but anyway, so I went to Universal Halloween Horror Nights, which was an absolute blast. I went with a big group of people and it's just such a fun event to, um, it'd been a couple of years since I had gone. Like they had obviously shut down for the pandemic. And then last year they were back and I don't even remember why I didn't go last year, but this year I was like, okay, let's do this. So yeah, it was, um, the same Halloween Horror Nights that you know and love where it's, you know, kind of the ambience and, you know, crazy people walking around with chainsaws trying to scare you and then they had a bunch of different mazes and as they have done in past like the times that we used to go together before the pandemic some of the mazes are ip and those are definitely the most popular mazes and then there are other mazes that are kind of original story you know kind of not based on a film or any type of ip And those are the ones that I love. So this year they had the Chucky maze, which honestly, it was the one, like, it was a fucking 180 minute Mm. wait to get. I had, like, we splurged for front of line passes or else I would not have done it. That's the point where I'm like, you know what? I don't need to walk through Chucky that bad. 180 minute wait to get on that one. It was by far the most popular maze at the park. It's okay for me. Like it was just, it was okay. There was a lot to it. Um, and I love the new Chucky TV show. Like, I think it's amazing. Um, so I, I really wanted to see it, but it definitely, it kind of, um, mixed a number of the films together to try to create this, this kind of new thing where Chucky was counting the number of people he could kill in like a short Mm -hmm. amount of time. It was okay. Um, not, not my face. It was definitely not the worst either. Um, there was one, the two that I thought were the absolute best. There was one called Monstrous, um, Monsters of Latin America. Hmm. And that one I actually, I absolutely love because they picked like three fables from Latin America. It was like a giant bird woman, um, some guy who kidnaps you in a sack and eats people. Like it was just these really cool stories. And I hadn't heard them before. So suddenly going through a haunted house based on these stories was awesome because I had no idea what to expect. I knew nothing about the mythos and it was like learning the story as I go along, as opposed to the Stranger Things maze, which was literally the last season of Stranger Things played out through rooms. Mm. Like it was literally like, this is episode one and here's the, the main point of episode two. And so it didn't, and same with Last of Us. Last of Us did the same thing where it kind of just felt like it was rehashing an episode. Um, another one of the original ones they did was Holidays where they, they'd they had like the Easter room and the fucked up leprechaun room and the oh, fucked up 4th of July room. One. 
that one was really fun. Um, again, because you don't know what you're expecting. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see what they do with Valentine's Day. Um, so yeah, the Evil Dead one was really good because they recreated the apartment building. So it actually oh, felt Evil like Dead. You, okay, Evil Dead. Yeah, they did the new Evil Dead. You walked through the apartment building. It felt like you were walking through their actual apartment. And they did a really good job with the production design on that one, where it felt very realistic to what was in the actual movie. The bathroom was recreated. There was a lot of really good stuff in that. Um, by far, well, I will say the Exorcist one, I probably would have enjoyed, but they filled it with smells. I'm mixed on how I feel about smells in haunted houses. Sometimes I'm like, oh, look, the person's cooking and it smells like bacon in here. Clever. The Exorcist haunted house smelled so badly mm. like rot puke. I don't know. Like there were people who had to leave the maze when it got to that point, And I found myself gagging hmm. like it destroyed it for me. And I'm sure that, yes, if you were actually in the exorcist, it's going to smell like it's not going to be a pleasant experience. But it was just so overpowering that it it almost tainted the experience. What, would have been funnier if they had had pea soup smell like just right. If everything just smelled like soup. I think that would have been good. just soup, just soup. Um, by far, my favorite part of the night. And this is just such a weird one. Um, the terror tram was cool. The mm. terror tram was bug themed. And I will always be excited about killer bugs. But the purge, which is not the one that I expected to love so much. The purge took over the water world water show. Oh. So in Universal Hollywood, I assume they do the same in Universal Florida. They have this like water setup. It's like a stage, but it's flooded with water and they treated it's usually the water world kind of effect show and they have flamethrowers and boats and jet skis it's rad i people. love it it's, one of it's my awesome too. it's why would they still have a water world attraction that's fucking why it's honestly one of the best parts at universal and so they converted it into the purge water show about a senator who is holding up during the purge on this island trying to stay away from the purge, but people find him and want to take him down. And it was so cool. It was honestly like my favorite part of the entire evening was just that and going, oh my God, things are exploding and that guy's on a jet ski and it was fun. Um, well, they but kept yeah, a jet so ski and a purge thing? That's pretty funny. Two jet skis okay. and a boat. It was brilliant and a lot of flamethrowers. So yeah, this it was just like one of the most fun things that I have done this season so far. So that's Universal Halloween Horror Nights. There's still tickets available. It's a wild time. Nice. Well, I didn't do anything fun. So I just watched. Well, it's fun <laughs> to me. L l being on a couch watching Halloween movies is pretty much what I live for this season, to be honest. Oh, yeah. So I'm good with that. But uh, let's let's chat uh, through a few of the movies that we both watched. And yep. then I've got a couple others I think we both have. So we both watched Totally Killer. Correct. Yep. Um, Nanachka Khan directed. Mm -hmm. uh, new on Amazon. It's about an infamous Sweet 16 killer in a neighborhood uh, has returned and it involves the time travel of a daughter going back in time to save her mother, uh, played by Kirna Shipka. People love this movie. People are really into it. I'm curious to hear how you feel about it. I thought it was a blast. Yeah. And I know because I texted you as soon as I started watching it with, holy shit, this is fun. Mm -hmm. And you texted back, I have a complaint. <laughs> And so I have to hear your complaints, but yeah. I thought this was fun. I mean, like it was, it was fun, campy, 
funny. I will always take horror comedy. That's the thing is like, we don't get a lot of horror comedy. It's a hard sell. Like studios don't even know what to do with horror comedy. Like it's just this foreign, it's difficult to sell um, and do well. And this, I thought actually did it really well because it was mixing the humor and the horror together but simultaneously keeping them separately. And I was impressed that Netflix did this because, or sorry, Amazon, this is an Amazon one. Um, is this Amazon, it is Amazon or was this? Amazon. Okay, yeah. yeah. Because again, horror comedies are a harder sell. So when you find a company that's willing to kind of take a risk on one, it's a big thing. Um, so yeah, this, I thought it was fun. It had a lot of funny stuff. I, I liked the heart to it a lot. Like I thought they got the heart right. I just, I guess some of the, so many of the 80s type, type movies, feel like the person's never definitely wasn't in the 80s and doesn't the details are always just so generic to me that sometimes I get a little bit meh but um I think my problem with it was just like if you're ripping off movies from that time period that could be fun now but like it's it's so close to movies from three years ago that I actually did have a problem with that like I was like okay this is literally happy death day and final girls I mean mm-hmm. you're going back in time to save your mother and Final Girls is you're going to save your mother into the movie. So, I, I, you know, again, I didn't think it was pulled off poorly. Um, and I think it handled the horror scenes maybe better than Final Girls, some of the horror, you know, the actual horror scenes in that. Um, but that's just so recent for me. Like, it's hard for me it to is. get excited about saying where, like, if this came 10 years from now, cool. That's one thing. Again, minor complaint. It's still a cool movie. And I, it's not one that I would be a Grinch about telling people not to see it. It was cool. But And I will say my first thought, and this is such an underseen film, so I'm going to proselytize it here and tell everybody to go see it. Detention. Yeah, Detention's amazingly original. At a slasher time travel movie, Detention all the way. Um, So this is still doing something fun. It's not doing something that we have not seen before. And I will say Final Girls, I think, is such... A that has the best movie. heart. Yeah, that has the best heart of any. And I think Happy Death Day is yeah. just like a modern, perfect, like uh, kind of re- meta film. Um, I, yeah. I, the one thing it does do differently that I did appreciate humor wise is Kierna Shipka when she goes back in time. And, you know, she's obviously with her parents who are now young people. It, it gets on like the social things that are not now socially relevant. And that's probably one of the first films I've seen to kind of hone in on those jokes. And they're actually pretty funny. Like, yeah, those things, were yeah. great moments, that's- like where they would say something that is now deeply considered. Yeah to be off color and she's taken aback by it and trying to figure out how to address it but still be true to who she is in 2023 like it's it's amazing yeah. um the way that they kind of handled that in this yeah. um yeah the ending for me was a little like oh, okay like when you actually find out who the killer is like any given slasher it was like oh okay but it's the journey to get there that definitely carried me along and Kieran and Shipka is really great you know she was uh, fun. fun actress okay another one we yeah. both saw that I I kind of wrote to you saying you you should definitely see this before because this is I think it's going to become a new rotation favorite for many many people and that's uh mm. Dark Harvest directed by David Slade So this one, um, this was shot in Winnipeg. I know a lot of the people involved in this one. And uh, yeah, this I had loved the book for this. So I was really excited when I heard that this was becoming a movie. I'm a bit mixed on how it turned out, but I love this mythology so much. And what I love for this is it swung for the fences. Like it is a 1950s period piece that is basically kind of like a mashup between the purge and pumpkin head. The whole concept of it, it's 1950s, this really small Midwestern town. And according to their local lore, every Halloween, this creature named Sawtooth Jack rises from the pumpkin patch and he kills people like he is fucking brutal. 
And if he gets to the church by midnight, it will just destroy the town. Like the town will fall into some type of absolute depression and just be completely destroyed for the next year. But if some boy in town, it's left up to the high school seniors, um, can kill Sawtooth Jack before he kills him, he will become the king of the town. The town will have another year of prosperity. The kid's family gets 25,000. He gets a car. And according to town mythos, All of the boys who have achieved this, who have actually killed Sawtooth Jack, have gone on to do amazing stuff. They form bands. They're television people now. They're writing books in New York City. So they all themselves get this amazing good fortune out of killing Sawtooth Jack. And so it becomes this competition in the town they call The Run every year around Halloween time where all of the boys um, gather to one night and basically the town locks itself down but the boys all go out to kill sawtooth jack and it's a competition to kill him but at the same time he's brutal he kills a lot of people in the process and he's and he's one of the best designed creatures i've seen him forever yeah. like and especially for a halloween based mm-hmm. character he's fantastic and like you can see multiple movies being made around a, a creature like that uh like my only issue is really was just with the script and the character some of the character stuff it just it felt like that's where it was let down and and this is a this is yeah. like if this is somebody's favorite of the year i will totally get it because it i get it, it earns yeah. that in the direction david slate directs the hell out of it and and it just moves and it's like really well put to, but there's just character things and things that feel a bit wonky as it goes especially as you kind of head towards the last act character wise at that see i felt yeah. like that was editing yeah. um because that in this who knows what the hell went wrong with production on it mm. but that said like for me it was an ensemble piece there's one boy that we're following but it's very much an ensemble piece about probably six different people in the town but we do not start getting some of the other stories of those six people until the third act and then all of a sudden it's like who the hell is this guy and why are we following him and that was where it kicked in for me was i felt like we were supposed to be following these people's stories from the beginning but for some reason they were only put into that third act so i saw it more as like an editing issue well my guess um, was that like, was a script structural me. problem but again it could be either it could be yeah again this is we're making it sound like it's really pro- has lots of problems that i don't i think for a lot of people who aren't thinking so micro it's not going to have those problems i think it's going to be just it's as fun exciting so... Yeah, wild ride. Cool mythos. The mythos behind it is great. It's got some really good gore. There were definitely like some fucking jaw drop. Oh my God, I can't believe it just happened. Like Sawtooth Jack is brutal. And I love the idea that we've kind of got this new character, that it is like a Sam Hain type Halloween, you know, kind of embodiment in this this villain. Um, So yeah, there was so much about this that I absolutely loved that don't let us sing you know the characters felt clunky in the third act stop you from seeing it um this was it was a wild ride and this was a big production that's the Mm. other thing is like right now we are in this age of like horror is made for under two million this did not feel like a two million dollar budget i mean this was a period piece with period cars and a massive cast it's basically like an entire town and sawtooth jack looked amazing like it was a gorgeous creature yeah i would call it the must-see film of the Halloween yeah. season even if it's not as big as some of the other ones that might be theatrical I think it's the one that like car fans really should seek out because it, it it will make you feel the feeling you want to feel in October it's like it will go yeah. watching Sleepy Hollow or something um, yeah it did it had a Sleepy Hollow that's it it had small great. town America gothic Halloween feel 
Um, and that's exactly what I needed. And I believe that's when you still have to pay. It's like streaming, but you have to still pay. It's still. I think it was rate. like five ninety nine yeah, yeah. on Amazon. But yeah, like it I wasn't. said, worth it, I think. So I'm going to jump to another new one that I watched. And this is actually my last new one that I watched. I'll save all of my old titles for deep cuts. And then I've got some books to talk about as well. Um, but the last new one that I watched is The Mill, which is on Hulu. Mm. And this just came to Hulu this, I think it was last Friday. Um, this is directed by Sean King O'Grady, who did We Need to Do Something. I really like that which, movie. Which, yeah, I really liked that movie as well. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm in for this. This is really small, but this was really compelling. And there was never a time where I in any way lost interest in it. It stars um, Lil Ray Howry. Yeah. And he plays an office worker at this company called Mallard. And it's definitely portrayed as some type of massive billion dollar company that controls everything. Think like an Amazon um, where they just, you know, they have fingers in basically every element of your life in some capacity. And he has been working for this company, but then out of nowhere, and this is where the movie starts, he wakes up in an open air prison cell. So it's like like concrete walls, um, dirt floor, sky overhead. And then in the middle of the room is this old grinding stone that goes in a circle. And all of a sudden this automated think like Alexa wakes up and broadcasts on one of the walls and says, we noticed that you have not been as productive at work. So we're putting you here so that you can realize your value to the company and realize your true potential. Um, and it says that he has to do 50 he has to push the stone around the 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 mill 50 times a day mm. is his quota, but that you realize that he's in this massive complex with all these other cells there. And that um, even though that 50 is his quota, they expect him to do more than just the bare minimum. And that every day, whoever has the lowest number revolutions will be killed. Mm. And every night at 2 a.m., he's hearing screams. So he knows somebody is being killed and he has no idea why he's there. He has no idea what's going on. He has a pregnant wife at home. And then every couple of minutes, this like Alexa type computer comes on and talks to him in very corporate speak about productivity and increasing your workflow and knowing your value at the company. And Mallard believes in you as an individual. And in between, while he's doing the revolution, it's running commercials for Mallard products. Like it feels very Amazon-y. And he is talking to his neighbor next door, played by Patrick Fischler, um, who is in the cell next to his. Um, the the only other person that we really ever see is a security guard played by Pat Healy. And uh, so the whole thing. Yeah. So it's all about office culture and kind of um, the the personality draining style of working in a massive corporate environment and all of the the office speak that goes along with it kind of the the you know techno speak of being proactive and take control and you know uh optionalize your workspace and things like that but it's set in basically like a torture chamber right. and um with him trying to figure out how to get out of this how does he does you know is there a way out of it knowing um that people around him are being killed constantly and specifically realizing that if um the entire company is run basically by a computer and a computer is running this thing on the wall how do you beat the algorithm if it's telling you that you know whoever's lowest is going to get killed how do you beat that algorithm hmm. and so it, this was 
you know, it's not huge. It's not going to, you know, there was no lobbing off of heads. Something is not going to burst out of a pumpkin patch, but it definitely kept me interested the entire time. And it had a really good statement behind it on corporate culture. Hmm. Yeah. And that is The Mill, which is currently on Hulu. Yeah. So the icon pop up a couple of days ago, but didn't know what genre it was. Yeah. Um, It's horror, thriller, science fiction, dystopian. It's a lot. Um, I've watched a few more things, so I'll do a couple together here. A couple origin stories, which I'm not usually a big fan of. Um, one that's got not getting great reviews, uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, directed by Lindsay Anderson Beer. A lot of people are being pretty harsh on this, I noticed online. This was a, I think, Paramount Plus or something. It's yeah. uh, interesting because so it's really a young Judd Crandall. So it's set in 1969. It kind of explains a lot about why Ludlow has this evil. Uh, you'll get a lot, you'll get a couple interesting theories in there. You have Henry Thomas. Uh, playing uh, his father, who's an interesting character in this. Uh, David Duchovny playing a parent of a war vet who has come home, but hasn't really come home, is dead, and he's brought him back and is what starts the evil, basically. Uh, Pam Greer, fucking Jackie Brown, uh, as as one of the townspeople who know about the evil and kind of work together. Uh, They kind of have a secret group, which I thought that was kind of the most interesting part. And there's one of my favorite movies of the year is a film called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Not really a horror film, mm-hmm. but just a really good film. Great. And the actor in that, um, the native actor, his name's Forrest Goodluck, who I really liked in that movie. And I like him in this too. Uh, is in it. And so anyway, it, I just like that because I was like, oh, it's E.T. from, you know, we've got Henry from E.T. We've got uh, Fox Mulder and Jackie Brown all uh, <laughs> work in Pet Cemetery for us. But um, surprisingly, this will surprise a lot of people. I kind of enjoyed watching this movie. It's very nasty. It's very mean. The kills are very hard and stuff. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a sometimes over-edited, you know what I mean? It moves really fast story-wise. But, like, I actually kind of enjoyed the tone. I think a lot of people are get upset with movies like this, I think often because they love the original world so much, and I don't really mm-hmm. care. Like, to be perfectly honest, I like Pet Cemetery the movie a lot. The sequel's okay, too, but I'm not, like, invested. This isn't my world. I thought some of the uh, the kind of weird swings for the, the the kind of stuff about the town was kind of fun, and I it, it was kind of like, I wouldn't say this, is, I wouldn't give this a big wreck, but I must admit, like, just personally, I enjoyed how nasty it was, and, um, you know, sometimes you're looking for that kind of movie. So, somebody else if you I, and i know a, another friend uh, kind of enjoyed that side and i've seen a lot of my other friends give it two stars so you know i thought it was well directed i thought Lindsay anson beer she did a good job actually just like with the way it looks and feels i just feel that some of the edits move make it move in a way that um is just too quick you know for what it is mm-hmm. so you know worth checking out <clears throat> make up your own decision and then the other one which I don't even know if it came out. I got an email sent to me and didn't say embargo, so fuck it. Uh, it was the, it was like, hey, here's a screener of the new Hell House LLC, the Carmichael Manor. Yeah, I don't think there's, I got the same email. I don't think no, there's an embargo. I mean, and if there is, too bad, if because not, don't send yeah. me a screener. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's coming to Shudder uh, either now or soon. And I was the person, uh, same director as the other. So this is part number four of these films, uh, the Hell House movies. Uh, and uh, I was the person who had no interest in these movies multiple times. I think you told me to watch them and then finally, I did. Yeah, finally, it took like 10 years yeah, it took for years. you to watch it them. It took me being really bored on maybe last Halloween. And I watched the first three uh, all in a row, I think, because I really liked the first one. Then I rather liked the second and then I rather liked the third. And it's the same thing. It, it, this is quite different in the sense that it is partly an origin and partly moves the action from the Hell House to a and after the events of Hell House 
to a Michael a manor called the Carmichael Manor, kind of nearby, a big estate where no one has lasted more than four days. And these two, uh, a documentarian and her 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 girlfriend, and then her brother decide to go in there and try to get to the kind of learn more about what happened in this brutal murder in this in this building. And that stuff's okay. And then it starts to link to the events of Carmichael uh, of sorry Hell House because they find an old clock and you know kind of goes amateurville a bit. Um, it takes a while because, you know, I find fo- found footage. I put up a bit of a wall as I start watching these movies and, and the character stuff because they have to work so hard for the why the hell are we recording all that stuff. But once the weird clowns and dark figures walking down hallways, I'm in and I'm having fun and it's creepy. And I'm like watching this movie going, why has this director not been given a VHS segment yet? He's made four mm-hmm. really fun, creepy Hell House movies and he deserves it. Um, and so I think the scares and stuff all still work and it, and it starts opening up a bit more of the cult stuff and the conspiracy stuff. So pe- fans of this, you know, this will be a fun one to close on. I, I find them hard to rank. You know, I think the first is still the best yeah. because I didn't expect it, but I, I liked all of them. They've all had some element that I've found kind of fun. So same. Yeah. I have enjoyed every single one. I'm excited to see this. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, I still the first one. I watched the first one because one of my friends from Phoenix, Katie Cage, had um, recommended me to check it out after I had done a found footage panel. And she had told me how amazing it was. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And I remember I watched it like the next night in the hotel. And I was just, I had no idea what to expect and thought it was amazing. So yeah, it was just, I I loved it. You will enjoy this. Watch it on the plane. Excellent. I've got, I've already downloaded movies to watch on the okay, plane. You, you know what I just got? I got the Jeff Goldblum one, Mr. Frost. Oh, that's yeah. like really hard to find. I have downloaded that onto my um, computer to watch on the plane. So if you're seated next to me, you can. Yeah, I've been planning it. to watch that for a while too. I think I might've seen it on VHS when I was younger, but I have a, not a good version of it to watch, but I don't know if there's a better version now, maybe. This one looks nice. Okay. I mean, oh. I won't reveal my sources, but yeah. yeah, I definitely have it sitting on my laptop now. And I was going to go ahead and download one more to watch off my completely legal site that I use. Um, so yeah, um, only only the ones that aren't available do I do that with. This is really hard to find. So in which case, I will I will find a way to see it. Um, but yeah, what else? Did you watch anything else? Uh, or those the well, I'll tell you, I, these are, I won't go into there's the new TV show called John Carpenter's Suburban Screams, which was a big, the big. How was it? Okay, so it's not very good, but I haven't watched the one he directed yet because he directed the last of them, only the very last. I thought the first one, as I was watching, I was like, oh, this could be Carpenterish. I couldn't tell. And then when I realized, I looked it up in an article, he did like number five out of five. The first two aren't bad. It's a little exploitive. It feels a bit like those A&E type shows where it's like part, part interview so half of the episode is just an interview with somebody telling their true version of oh i really used a ouija board and talked to this ghost and like a story they truly believe and then the re- mm-hmm. reconstructions are a bit, bit better production value than you know an a and e thing type thing or one of those you know ghost hunters or whatever uh, i feel like i would want to reverse that like i'd want to see the reconstruction and then i would oh it's a mix Sorry, talk no, about, it's, all mixed okay. up. it's not straight i'm just saying that those are the two things that you're watching the okay. recreations are you know they almost they kind of look like real movies at times like there's some pretty nice stuff but they just you know there's something about the actual stories themselves so far where i was just like oh okay this i mean they are probably based in some truth but one is really a guy who you know really thinks he's contacted by ghosts and stuff and there's something about it that feels like you know a lot of emotion in the interview i was just like very like eh, 
about them, but I will probably watch them all just so I can see what Carpenter, I mean, Carpenter directed it from his couch. This is Peacock, right? These these are on Peacock, Wait, yes. He directed yes, it he from did, his couch? Yes, he did. So he didn't couch? even go in person. He was on his couch like a video game and he was just like giving notes through a TV and I've seen behind the scenes stuff of how he did it. It's pretty wild. So, so you know, Carpenter didn't even have to go to set. Um, anyway, so I will report back when I when I watch his one, because, you know, I'm hoping I'm always hoping uh, for good Carpenter. Don't get me wrong, but it's yeah. it's watchable. And like, you know, it's a good kind of diversion. It would be good on a plane because it's that kind of you know, short form. Uh, it's somewhat information, somewhat. You know what? I just see they have an episode on Bunny Man. And that that is that's one of the local legends from where I grew up. We always heard um, this is where I moved right after I graduated from college, Virginia Tech. I moved to Fairfax, Virginia um, and taught there for two years before I moved up to New York City. And Bunny Man is all Fairfax. So I'm going to have to watch that episode just to see what they did with the Bunny Man. They're all different directors. And then I won't go into it until I finish the whole thing. But I did watch last night the first episode of Flanagan's Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. And I've heard it's amazing. It looked fantastic so far. And also really, really well timed because it's literally a supernatural, as far as I can tell, it basically is a supernatural uh, version of that show that just ended succession because it feels very much like even the theme music at the start is like, oh, wait, this almost feels like a riff on succession, but with Poe, because all all the children of this very rich man have all died when this movie opens. And obviously we're going to learn how it all happens. He's Roderick Usher. Him and his uh, sister have amassed this massive fortune. And it was really cool when it opened because it opens with some Poe and just hearing Poe's language uh, in a kind of high-end quality looking show, not just like only Corman was usually the person doing it, uh, was mm-hmm. really exciting and seeing it kind of contemporized. And so now I'm very interested where it's going to go just from one episode. The first episode really sets up what how the story's being told. It's this guy basically confessing to everything from about his life to the cop who's been trying to, or the lawyer who's been trying to nail him. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks like it's and it's all this familiar Flanagan uh, castmates. So I'm very much looking forward to finishing that when I don't have to watch all the Halloween movies. <laughs> but yeah, you are doing such better homework than I am. I watched like two of them and I was like, eh, I think I remember the rest. Yeah, no, these so, are, yeah. I, I promise I'm really doing it because I got into like this one. There was a chain four of them in a row. I, I wanted to try to find the continuity. It was really for me at that point. I don't need to do this for for an episode <laughs> of a show, but I was kind of enjoying it. So. Um, okay. So I'm going to do some books and I will run through these really quick, but I've got, um, a bunch of books that I have read over the last month and a half that I hadn't talked about on the show yet that I at least wanted to put in people's minds. I ended up talking about it a lot on our Patreon show because I got really excited, but raw shark text. I am late to the party on this one. This is from 2007. Um, but this was my rabbit hole for a number of weeks. And I absolutely loved this book. This is like David Lynch type level of like layers and, you know, rabbit holes and breadcrumbing in there that where you're having to try to figure shit out and you're having to put puzzles together in your own brain. It most reminded me of something like I'm thinking of ending things mm-hmm. where I'm piecing together the psyche of a very problematic protagonist, um, multiple versions of the same protagonist as well. So this one was awesome, kind of memento-ish in that you're you're getting somebody who has memory issues. Um, but yeah, this one was just really cool. So that is from 2007, Raw Shark Text. Okay, next up, 
I found this over the summer and finally read this one, and it will probably be one of my fave books of the year, Boys in the Valley by Philip Fricassi. And this is, it's a period piece. It's set, gosh, I don't even remember when it was. It was it's it's an older one. I want to say like 1930s or so. Um, but it's about a um, boys orphanage, a very isolated orphanage run by monks hmm. in the middle of, I think it's supposed to be kind of mid um, Eastern coast, like Pennsylvania type area. And um, they're very isolated. The boys are kind of mistreated. It's a very strict environment. And one night, um, the local townspeople bring this man in, say that he has been involved in an incident and he's dying and they need one of the monks to save him because it's the closest place. And one of the monks used to be an army surgeon. And they bring the man in and he is clearly possessed as fuck um, with something. And then from there, it just, the evil just kind of spreads. Hmm. This has a when evil lurks quality to it in how kind of extreme it gets. But because it's in a boy's orphanage, it's kind of Lord of the Flies-ish all at the same time. I would be shocked if this does not get optioned somewhere. Um, And if it hasn't yet, all of the filmmakers out there, you should definitely read this and look into it because there was just something so fun about it. Um, And dark, it's just a dark one, but it moved. Okay, Hemlock Island um, was another one that I rather enjoyed. This was by Kelly Armstrong, new one that just came out about a woman who owns this super nice island in the middle of Lake Champion, I think. Like It was one of the Great Lakes. I think it was Lake Champion. Um, And she owns this basically a private island with a house on it that she rents out as an Airbnb. But suddenly all this weird, creepy shit is happening on the island. And she thinks that it's some of her prior renters are like fucking around with her, like leaving bones places and blood and things like that. But then she goes to start cleaning it up with some family members and you realize that they are trapped on the island and that there's something else much bigger going on. This one I thought was really fun. And then the big one that I am just, I'm sure this has been optioned. Like I guarantee this was optioned before it ever even came out. Um, Might end up being my book of the year, Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. The setup of this is about a children's show. And it goes, it uses um, that kind of Berenstain bear theory of like multiverses where it's supposedly, and it's got elements of Channel Zero, this season one of Channel Zero, where it's this weird messed up kid show that this entire generation of adults remember. Like, oh my God, do you remember Mr. Magic? And they all remember that something happened on the last episode that the entire show got shut down, but they all remember something different. Like some people, and it causes internet debates of like, um, you know, some people remember that there was a fire. Oh no, I remember that like the whole thing exploded. No, I remember that a person stabbed somebody and they all have different memories, but nobody can find the actual footage of what happened on that live episode. And now some 30 years later, so that was like 1980s, some like 30, 40 years later, they get word the show is coming back and they're reuniting the cast from that last episode to talk about what actually happened. And that's all I'll give you for that one. It's just a really cool story that I guarantee some studio has picked up because it's too delicious and rich of a mythos not to. Sounds like Channel Zero for sure. Yeah, it's very Channel Zero, but it's got, um, because it is about that kid's show, but it's got mixes of of this like Berenstain Bearsness, and it feels like a Captain Kangaroo. Did you guys have Captain Kangaroo? No. Captain, I don't know if that, that may have been. Skippy, the bush kangaroo. 
Okay, I can't remember if Captain, we had Captain Chesapeake as well, which was local access. Um, I think Captain Kangaroo was nationwide. I can't remember if that was one of our, our local ones that we had in the DC area or not. But um, yeah, where it is like this host show and there's clowns and sketches mm. and stuff like that. But yeah, that is Mr. Magic. Holy fuck, that was a fun read. And the book's called Mr. Magic. Mr. Magic okay. is the name of the book. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of my fall reading thus far. I'm on a plane ride for uh, like 10 hours over the next couple of days with Elric and Brian Sauer. So I'll probably read a bunch more books when I'm not watching Mr. Frost. It's hard to watch movies in, I feel the economy seats because like, depending on the plane, they're so close. I can't even get the laptop open in a lot of those seats to look at without getting a neck, you know, cramp or something oh so. i gotta say so when i was this is like the greatest moment of my life mm. it was only a two-hour flight from la to portland and they were doing that thing where they're like it's an oversold flight we're really full can people please just come check bags and nobody was checking their bags and so i immediately popped up and i was like i don't you know my clothes all come from thrift stores i got nothing of value in here check my bag lose it all you want and so i popped right up and she immediately goes we're upgrading you to first class. Mm. And so I got to fly to Portland oh, nice. by myself in first class. It was like, I, that was my zenith. Like I can never come down from yeah. that moment. It was only two hours, but they brought me free cheese. And that's all I need is you've brought me free cheese that's and I'm good. in. I'll bring you so, free yeah. cheese on this next Thanks. one. I'll just Thanks. a giant cheese. block of Colby that I'm going to just put on your You just lap. show up with a couple of cubes of cheese yeah. and I'm a happy camper for the day. So. Well, it's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to seeing some people in Knoxville and we're now going to talk about a super uh, Cray uh, Lovecraftian inspired movie. Yes. Let's bring on Joe Lynch. Tonight's Colors of the Dark is brought to you by The White Vault, a new horror podcast set within the chilling polar night. The White Vault, journey into the Arctic with an international rescue and repair team sent to locate the source of a mysterious signal. Trapped in the white wastes, the team make a miraculous discovery, but also find they might not be alone. What horror lurks beneath the ice? If you enjoy Alien or The Thing, the White Vault makes you feel like you're actually with the team as they march through the sunless Arctic snowscape, polar bears and all. It features a lot of jump scares, and the creators of the show work to ensure scientific, linguistic, oral, and cultural accuracy. Future seasons of The White Vault follow other stories, such as an archaeology team that survives an avalanche in Patagonia, and the spin-off series in the Antarctic England, Japan, and 1700s China. The White Vault's main story recently concluded, and it's available now, so you can hear all of the collected recordings for free without having to wait on new releases. This is a fully independent production. The show is created by a two-person team plus the actors. The popularity of the show led them to being able to make The White Vault and other fiction stories their full-time job. The White Vault has won countless awards, over 30 Audioverse awards, in addition to a Webby Award in 2021 and three webby honorees for best music and best sound design find the white vault however you listen to podcasts or find out more about the show at the subscribe now and delve into the waiting horrors 
Tonight's Colors of the Dark is also brought to you by the upcoming film Soulmates. Another Manny Haley production is making its way to theaters on October 20th, just in time for Halloween. Soulmates follows two unsuspecting strangers who find themselves participating in a twisted new dating service led by The Matchmaker that forces two singles inside a nightmarish maze designed to help them find their soulmate or die trying. Be sure to find your way to theaters to check out The Soulmate, starring Annie Alonza, Charlie Weber, and Neil McDonough. Okay, we are coming back uh, with some lovely body swap par with an old friend from back back in the day. Uh, started shows at the very same time, really. Uh, Mr. Joe Lynch, welcome to the show. Hi, hi everybody. I'm I'm so glad to be back, but in another iteration because it seems mm-hmm. like since the the, the the good old Geek Nation days, yeah. we've had uh, multiple iterations of your show. Um, yep. Whereas we've been stuck doing the movie crypt, you know, <laughs> like. Uh, <laughs> Various guys, maybe you know, we've we've uh, attained a host with the dog with Arwen the dog, um, but we're still up to our old wily ways. But um, it is nice. It is nice though because, like, one like as we were kind of talking offline before, I don't mind saying full disclosure. I got into a bad accident uh, earlier today, and um, you know, after I made sure that everybody was fine, I was like, you know, the the, the, the thing that I have to do tonight is talk to these guys <laughs> so badly because not not to promote my movie but you know just there's nothing better than shooting the shit and chewing the fat with like-minded psychos like yourselves especially when we only get especially with you guys together we only get those few scant moments when we're either crossing paths at the burbank 15 or yeah. outside of the new bed yeah, that was last time yeah. like i want to continue talking but you know we're going to our car you're going inside so yeah this is where we can safe space it's a nice oasis um but as i said before if i do not off or start speaking in weird languages then at least people have contact i'll, I'll text <laughs> some people and be like go check on joe please so yes yeah. i probably won't be able to Definitely. tell joe i'll just be like i don't know <laughs> he's, he's fully asleep but you know it still sounds good yeah. to me blah, 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 uh, suitable flesh october 27th <laughs> horny so is uh, suitable flesh is doing like a, a theatrical right you guys are doing a couple theaters yeah, uh, theatrical and VOD it was originally going to be just theatrical, but you know, obviously with the strike and the lack of promotion that the rest of the cast and the rest of the you know, at least up until recently, uh, the rest of the crew could do now that the writer strike has lifted. Thank God. Um, now Dennis is going around and kind of you know, like hitting the hitting the hitting the the podcast paid, uh, pavement and doing I the spent, dog and pony show with me. I spent my last weekend with him at Lovecraft Fest, which I'll talk about in a sec. Ooh, I can't yeah. wait to hear it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it is going to be out in theaters and VOD, um, which is nice because, you know, for a film like this, uh, we recently played at uh, Fantastic Fest and they put us in the midnight slot. And, you know, I was always a little scared. Well, their version of the midnight slot, which was 11 p.m. We actually didn't start sh- like screening until 12.15 because typical Fantastic Fest, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans that happened before that. And, you know, I've now seen the movie in various times since June when, when we started this Fleshable tour. And I've noticed that the movie plays differently at different times. And I'm sure you guys have dealt with that before, where, you know, uh, 
at I, I've, I've now deduced that there are ample screening times for this movie pending how you're going to watch it now if you're going to watch this in a theater on the you know in the cinema on the big screen in full cthulhu scope um seven o'clock to eight o'clock perfect time you're getting right. out of work you just you know you, you're catching up with friends maybe you have a date but then when the movie's over you have a little bit of downtime you know you can get to your car make out in your car whatever you can go home see where it goes from there or go out and discuss you know all the weird themes that are going on in the movie that's fine that's 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 the cinema experience seven o'clock if you're at home i say this is more of a nine o'clock viewing because now you've had dinner a glass of wine you're sitting with your you know your partner or someone you're trying to hook up with who knows and then by the time the movie's over it's time for bed you might as well let the you know let the um the our amorous ambiance of the movie kind of wash over you and you take it into the bedroom i don't see and and i think you guys would agree with me i don't like when people go instant midnight movie i think midnight movies as a label have to be earned um i i just i the, i think that most of the midnight movies that i've gone to are movies that i have seen multiple times that mm -hmm. i want to experience either again with friends with you know once you step into that cinema you're all friends but I always feel like those are movies that are better in like a repertory fashion than they are when you're watching it for the first time. Because most times I want to soak in the context. I want to see if this is the first time I'm seeing it. I want to kind of take it all in from an objective standpoint, not, you know, sit there and go, holy Christ, it's 11, you know, no, it's 1.30 yeah. in the morning and things are just getting going. Like that, that's, that's brutal for the film. And I noticed when we played it at, at Fantastic Fest, you know, not that people were nodding off, but when, you know, if, if you've seen the movie, which you guys haven't, thank you, um, you know, things really kick in in that, that like second half to third act, you know, I, which was designed, but I don't want to get people's, you know, adrenaline going at 1.30 in the morning or maybe later. So I would much rather see a movie like, you know, Return of the Living Dead or even Possession. I know where these movies are going. I've, I have like the track numbers and the chapters of all the madness that's going to happen. That makes me go, I can, I, I can, I can hold out. I don't have to be Brian Collins and fall asleep in the movie five minutes in. Oh, so, well, I actually think I, I, he knows it. Oh, he knows. No, I sat next to him when we saw um, Climax and he was literally out in like 20 minutes. And I, I, at I mean. the end, I was like, did you enjoy it, Brian? And he was like, yeah, it was great. It was great. But so, I think, I think you, <laughs> movies get labeled. He still some absorbs some of them. They get yeah. labeled in there for, because of the bonkers moments usually. Yeah. And that, it, so if something yeah. gets wild, but I agree. I think possession is similar though in, to your structure where you can do it because you've seen it before. But if you were going to it for the first time, I don't think Midnight's a good place because it is this like intense, weird drama for a lot of it. And then it's only really at the end that it comes off the rails. And by then it's 2 a.m., 2, 10 a.m., yeah. <laughs> which is... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've had big, long discussions about Midnight Movie because, I mean, we've been doing this now for almost 11 years together that we've been co-hosting stuff together. So we've seen many a Midnight Movie together and neither of us are really equipped for that anymore. Just kind of, you know, yeah. where our lives are. Like, I'm in bed at 1130, hitting myself in the face with a book I'm trying to read. Um, so the idea of going out to a movie at that time, it's just not quite there anymore, unless it is wild and crazy enough through the entire thing, or it's a mm -hmm. quick 
it's a quick or like heavy jump scares I can do at midnight. Um, but yeah, it's a particular type of movie. Um, we had gone, gosh, it's been probably six years, like right before the pandemic, we went to see the beyond on a midnight movie slot. And Ooh. you think the beyond midnight movie, it's really cool. It's bonkers. It is so fucking slowly paced yeah. between yeah. those bonkers moments with that like languid music underneath all of it. Mm-hmm. Even while there's, you know, acid rolling towards that poor redhead girl who didn't deserve to die like that. Or the tarantula, um, yeah. you know, the tarantula fingers and shit yeah. like that. It's all this uh, like slow drifting languid music underneath and everybody was out cold. Like it was like a theater of people snoring. I'm glad that you brought that up because the first time that I had seen the beyond was a, a, this is like the perfect example. I'm glad you brought that up as, as a, as an exhibit a of what, if you're going to see a midnight movie, try to see that midnight movie or said midnight movie. Have it, have it, before mm-hmm. before you experience it for the first time um when tarantino put out uh the beyond um like what was it, the, the um, rolling thunder roll, what was it uh rolling thunder pictures mm-hmm. that was like the second movie he had done uh detroit 9000 was the first one and he had kind of a lock on the angelica film center uh in new york that's where all of those films played and long story short my brother and i were so excited because we had seen zombie we had seen gates of hell we never you couldn't find the beyond it. you couldn't find it letterbox anywhere and here it was playing for one night only at the angelica we drove three hours into the city so stoked never saw it before and the big the big draw was they were handing out for the first 50 people free eyeballs yeah. there were these Ooh. eyeballs like the kind of eyeballs that like you sloshed around and they were always looking up but they said the beyond on the bottom so we're like oh we got to get those we get there and the usher who's there is like you guys it's only 10 o'clock i don't know why you guys are here early but like who were here first we want the eyeballs and the guy's like maybe you should come back so we go to this burger place called silver spurs which was right down the street great burger joint not there anymore and when we came back the line was around the block and we're sitting there going 23, 24, 25, 36, 37, 41, 42, 43, 44, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52. Fuck! <laughs> like we we were so pissed. And right when they opened up the uh, the doors, the usher came over to us. And I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but he he kind of takes us by the hand, brings us all the way to the front, and goes, "These guys were first, and handed us these <laughs> nice. eyeballs like they were golden tickets. We were like. Oh my God, but also embarrassed as fuck because all these other people were like, what the hell? We go downstairs and if you guys have ever been to the Angelica, you mm-hmm. go down those mm-hmm. like long, like gates of hell escalators. We sit down, we're so excited. Fucking Tarantino and Calvin Klein are sitting in front of us. We're like, this is mind blowing. Both of us were out in 20 minutes. Like, oh like, gosh. So excited because you're right. It is it is a slow paced film. I mean, most folky films, maybe yeah. except for like New York Ripper are somewhat moderately paced, if you will. They are. And they have, they have not. Yeah. He gets, they, they he have gets like, flow. it's like a dream that happens in between yes. these like crazy nightmare moments. Like it's just really kind of, it just, it floats. Yeah. Now, if I had seen it at the, you know, if I had already seen it once and experienced it and knew what was coming, I, you know, would have seen like, all right, crazy blind girl looking down that, you know, that long, that long road and really realizing, okay, you know, the acid scenes are coming soon or, one of the most amazing final shots of all time is going to be at the end of this. I had no clue. I would have been more amped to know 
that like like when you go to a good concert you know they're going to play welcome to the jungle at the very end you know during the encore that's going to happen so you have to wait for that and we what we woke up again maybe at the like, the last 10 15 minutes and we're like oh, oh what oh <laughs> god damn it when we went to go we went back years later to the new beverly and they played at the um, at the midnight show we knew everything was going on we were up you know the whole night midnight movies i think are best consumed when they are films that you can see as good old friends and you, you yeah. know like they're they're like having a good conversation with someone not someone that you want to meet for the first time like the beyond for the first time yeah that, that's that was that was a bit of a bummer but i got the eyeballs I still that's have good them. that's the main that's thing good. well we yeah. the lesson is suitable flesh watch it earlier i would say watch it at two yes. two p.m then it's done by about three forty. you can still visit your psychiatrist right after you know for a little quickie um, you know, however you want to play it, you know, <laughs> depends on your psychiatrist that they, they can't all be Heather Graham. So, uh, but let's talk about the movie. <laughs> yeah. I will yes. quickly say, I mentioned up top that I just got back from, um, Lovecraft Fest. So I was there, I did the keynote on cosmic horror and I showed glorious, which was amazing. I wish you could have come yeah, to How that. did that go? How, how was, was the crowd? It was packed. And I mean, they showed Glorious at like one o'clock on a Sunday and it was packed and it was so packed for the keynote. I was just shocked. Like it was it was like my euphoric moment because it was me up there just geeking out about tropes of cosmic horror and what makes something cosmic and the history of it as a subgenre and just a packed audience. So it was just beautiful. Like it's what I wish all of my college classes were. And um, so, yeah, and I had seen Suitable Flesh played twice there. They played at nine o'clock on the opening night. And then they played it again Sunday night. They did an encore performance and both of them were packed shows. And then also I was on a panel with Dennis Paoli and it was, um, me and Clay McLeod Chaplin, who's been on our show mm-hmm. before, who's a friend of mine. We're both from the same part of Virginia and Dennis Paoli. And it was all about how to bring Lovecraft to screen. Um, like, what do you take from Lovecraft to kind of transition mm-hmm. him to screen? And so, yeah, it was it was awesome to kind of see Dennis and his element um, talking about it. So, yeah. How did this script go from Dennis to you to Amp, like kind of walk us through how this, you know, kind of came to be. I'm always, uh, this is my favorite question that I ask filmmakers um, because it's like, I'm trying to like figure out the lament configuration myself and there's never two <laughs> answers. Hold on, you gotta, what, you know, <laughs> as we all know, there is no right path. There is yeah. no, you know, certain uh, slide of the circle on the lament configuration that lets all the the hooks come out. You know, just especially with film, you never very nice. Um, you never know where, like, what's going to be the proper path that's going to either get you the money, get you the talent, get you the resource that you need. This one, you know, I was uh, it was literally six weeks into the pandemic, and I was going through a really rough time. I had just you know, kind of survived point blank with Frank Grillo and Anthony Mackie. And that was not a fruitful experience at all. And I really wanted to get back to horror, but I didn't know what that process was going to be. And I didn't have the right project. And then I got an email from Barbara Crampton. <clears throat> and, you know, when you get an email from Barbara Crampton, you immediately <laughs> open it like, what the hell is this? And she had um, sent me this email and just said like, hey, you know, with in typical Barbara Crampton fashion. <laughs> And uh, she sent this script and it was the thing on the doorstep and it was Dennis's script. And she said, you know, would you be interested in doing this? Now, I had 
had conversations with Stuart before he passed about this script because this was his getting the band back together project that he was going to do with Dennis and Brian. And I believe Barbara was going to be involved as well. And the, you know, obviously it didn't work out. But when he was talking about it, it was to me, and this was at the time when it was called The Thing on the Doorstep. And I was excited just as a fan, you know, when you hear like, holy shit, he's going back in, he's going back to Cosmic Park, it's gonna be great. Yeah. And he's got he's, he's got all the, you know, the regular players, this is awesome. So when he, she sent it to me, I had mixed feelings. And the first mixed feeling was, fuck, Stuart's not gonna do this. I don't know what came over me, but I, like as such a disciple, and then, you know, I, I in one form or another can say a, a colleague of his, like when you have a conversation with Stuart, he tended to give you notes on movies that you did that you're like, dude, I can't go back into the edit. The movie's out. It's been out for two years. But he talks to you, he talked to you about the movies and I could sit there and talk to him for days about dolls, you know, like that alone, or like mm -hmm. tell me everything about space truckers, you know, like the, I, I knew his work enough that I could just on a dime, just start talking about stuck, you know, or like, like go into King of the Ants. But when he talks to you, about it and he looks he looks at you when he talked to you about it it was daunting and exciting all at the same time and at that moment when barbara sent that that was the moment that i said because i hadn't seen stewart you know before he passed in maybe eight months nine months or whatever before the last dinner that was the moment i knew he died mm. um yeah like god i haven't even thought about that in a long time but that was the moment where you just you know, when you just have that moment where you go like, oh yeah, that, that really happened. And it was, and then, you know, and then Barbara, when I wrote her back, I went like, are you kidding me? And she goes, no, I, you know, I spoke to both Dennis and Stuart about this and supposedly they mentioned your name. And I thought immediately, um, God, like there's a, there's a shot from Detroit Rock City where, no, three o'clock high where this the camera swoops down over like a hundred names and then lands on Casey Zemesco's name. I was like, ah, that's what happened. They went like, pass, 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 Jolene. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, no, your name came up multiple times. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Okay, whatever. But then I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'll read it. And reading it, it was interesting because it was me reading it not as a fan or just not as just, you know, a, like an ardent uh lover of you know these filmmakers it was oh shit now i have to put it through the process in my brain and see what comes out like do i want to shoot this do i want to direct this do i want to craft this together and by the end i was really excited except for one thing and that was the gender um because i had read the the thing on the doorstep before um you know i went on a huge lovecraft kick for years after you know, seeing Reanimator and going, who the fuck is H.P. Lovecraft? Um, so I went on a huge kick and I knew that story really well. And then, uh, you know, when I read it, I went, you know, I, I really like this. But at the same time, this isn't 1995. And I don't have Michael Douglas that I can throw this as a cast member. Because if it was a, if it, we were going with the male skewed version, I think it wouldn't play. And I don't think people would appreciate this purview this point of view especially in the cultural lexicon that we're in right now i think it would have felt outdated and it would have felt kind of boring yeah and immediately i went what if we just swap the genders and not like you know let, let's go into final draft and just change all the names or anything 
it, it has to resonate. There has to be a reason. And also immediately I thought of Athel McMaster's from uh, or McMichael's from uh, from from beyond and went, you know, I remember when that movie came out and everyone gave Barbara shit for being like, what, 23 and supposed to be this like renowned, uh, mm. you know, uh, psychiatrist or whatever. And like, and, and, you know, as a kid, I didn't give a shit. But years later, I watched it and went, you know, she is kind of young. That is kind of weird. So immediately I went, well, this has to be, I, I would love to do this if this was, um, you know, female led. And if, it, if we kept the ages as older, uh, you know, older characters, because that to me, felt dangerous and that shouldn't feel dangerous that shouldn't that should just be the norm it should just be here are these characters you know they're they're successful women they're in their for late 40s and early 50s they can have sexual feelings too they can want to see what the other side of the grass is like there's you know like there's nothing wrong with going from that purview now immediately i went fuck they're not going to go for this at all like they're, they're going to go ixnay and i didn't even think about barbara being involved in it one bit because i think at the time she said i'm just producing this so at the same time i had just started to collaborate with um my writing partner becca and she was in europe at the time during the uh, pandemic so i sent it to her and i just went take a look and see what you think so i read it went eh, got excited but also got kind of dismayed to thought of the idea about the female swapping uh genders thing then went to bed then I woke up the next morning and now Becca's eight hours ahead and she wrote me this eight page thesis on why we should change the genders. And I didn't even mention it. Hmm. And I went, fuck, fuck, man, we're on to something. So we sent that over to Dennis and Barbara and um, and just said, like, look, I don't think I don't know if you're going to like this or not. But, you know, if you want to get into bed with you know, with me on this, here's what I'd love to do. And these are just ideas. And if you don't like it, no harm, no foul, you know, go see what Joe Begas is doing. Um, and then shock of shocks, Dennis came back to us and said, you know what? That's really interesting. Give me, you know, like, let me, let me think about it. Three weeks later, we got the new draft and it was not just changing Edward to Elizabeth and Daniel to Daniela. It was, he deep dove into what the thematics would be if we changed the genders. And it just, it was just like, it got so exciting. that It felt like Stuart made that choice. And that from then on, that's kind of where I went, all right, I really want to do this. And I don't, I want to do it in a way that is paying homage to a friend of mine, but more than that, to a hero of mine who changed the way that I saw cinema, that I saw sexuality, that I saw horror, like when I saw Reanimator, that that rewired me when I was a kid, and then mm -hmm. from beyond, and then all of his other movies, even just the fact that he never seemed like other than the Lovecraft stuff to stay in one place in genre. You know, like when I saw King of the Ants, I'm like, is this the same guy? Yeah. So, and that's always been kind of my modus operandi as well. So, it was once we kind of uh, cracked the code, so to speak, and and didn't alienate anybody, and felt like this was the right thing to do. We were off to the races, and a lot That's of the, awesome. a lot of that feeling um, comes in the casting. It, it looks like you did get a lot of the play. You got uh, an actor from King of the Ants who's also in the Reanimator stage show. You got Graham Skipper from the stage show. You got mm. uh, Barbara. I mean, it just felt like purposeful uh, if, in that way. It felt like casting was a bit of a love letter to their world, which I really appreciated. Um, oh, but walk us 100%. through that. Walk us through I mean, that and the lead casting, obviously. 
Yeah. Well, uh, I will say I'm glad that you picked up on uh, Chris. Yeah, from was, the I really like that. Cameo. Spoiler alert. He's playing the character from King of the Ants. Oh. oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. He's playing uh, Crowley from King of the Ants years later. And we kind of threw in a couple wrinkles in there, too, mm. you know, sexually on, you know, on his plight. But it was it was a snowball effect, at least with a lot of the actors that we were blessed to have, you know, kind of come on board in more of the supporting roles. Graham was literally like he, he texted me and said, you're doing that movie. I'm in. And then a day later, he goes, oh, Chris, you know, Chris from Reanimator and King of the Ants. Yeah, he's in, too. I'm like, oh, OK. And then I had the because originally the part of that um, patient that um that Heather was going to uh, hypnotize that it ended up becoming a plot point and a setup for later on. Um, that was supposed to be Jeffrey Combs. Wow. And we had tried and his schedule just wasn't, he wasn't available, which was a bummer. And Barb, believe me, Barbara tried, you know, I think she like actually like went to his house or something like that, but she tried and it just didn't work out. So we had this part available and I'm like, you know, as much as it'd be great to have Jeffrey in this, we could also have another kind of Stuart Gordon connection there too. Um, but in terms, and then Jonah Ray, who's just a huge horror movie fan, he texted both Barbara and I at the same time and said, I'm in whatever you guys want. I'm in. We're like, okay, orderly number one. Um, yeah. That other orderly really fucked it up though. Right. Like every time he was yeah. with that, <laughs> that mustache Dude, and the he, other orderly, <laughs> you know, I, I, I will give you a long story short. I was not supposed to be in the movie. Anytime that I'm in one of my movies, it's because somebody fucking bailed without fail every single time it's either somebody didn't show up or we ran out of english speaking actors that's usually the case and i go okay here we go <laughs> now i don't know about you guys but um i have this tradition when uh, whenever i'm you know in the throes of production and everybody is like just trudging to the finish line no matter what the production is whether you have a 60 day shoot or an 18 or 19 day shoot by the time you get to the, the last day, everybody's just wiped. Mm -hmm. And as a morale booster, because I'm a total fucking clown, uh, I usually grow my beard out so I look like fucking Mad Dog, Mad Dog Morgan by the end of the shoot and everything nice and burly. And then the last day, I shave it all off and leave a porn stash because there's nothing better than walking onto set and everyone brightens up by mm -hmm. goes and goes like, hey, hey bro. It works like a fucking charm. That's Becca, I, I, I highly recommend You got to do that. I'll work on it. I do trivia with the cast and crew. It's not anything, quite as cool as that. Anything that did you Joe can Wicker do them. his, um, did he do his uh, prizing that he always does after lunch? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. the, 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 the uh, let's, let's give away uh, shirts from, from Candyman and Random fucking from other movies. Got, sure. Yeah. You know what, though? That sort of stuff goes so it's far with so the crew. It's so good. I still if have my- you feel like you're a family, you know? I won um, while we were shooting Glorious and he was doing those little prizes after um, mm -hmm. lunch every day. I won this little picture of a seal gull and it says, you regret every French fry you don't eat. And I don't even know what it means because it's a picture of a seagull and it's talking about French fries, but it's hanging in my office and it's still like, I won that. It was like a great day. You, you, so, and you know what? You feel like it It earned it. So- yeah. um, so long story short, uh, so I go to set and all the grips are like, hey, porn lynch, you know, it, it, it already it was working a charm. So Jonah was playing this one character. He's playing the orderly and me being Mr. Fucking Kubrick and I had to have symmetry in my shots. I needed to have the other orderly be 
six foot 11, or at least somewhat like that. And the guy, the local guy that we cast, nobody looked at his height when we cast him online. All we saw was a, was a headshot and a video, you know, of his, of his line, which he didn't really have any. And the, where he walks in into the set and it was like this, ready? Hi everybody. How's it going? I'm here <laughs> for the movie. I was like, Oh shit. And immediately survival mode kicked in and I run to costumes. I go, do you have another orderly costume? Like one that I could wear. And that's how I got in the part. Now, being fair and trying to be the placating, you know, director that I hope I am. I ran back to the guy and went, Oh my God, it's, I'm so glad you're here. Listen, I have this idea. I don't know if you're up for it, but I want it. There was, you just have this look of doctor, not an orderly, but a doctor. How about you play the doctor? And he's like, sounds great. So he's, he's one of the guys with uh, Kim, our first AD who runs in with the paddles later on. I, I didn't, I didn't fire him. He's still in the movie, but it was not going to work like with these shots that I was going to have of like, you know, Barbara walking down Miskatonic university and seeing these two guys behind her. If there was one guy that was this height and one guy was that height, it was mm-hmm. going to, it was going to be a disaster, but that is why the stash is there. I thought that's purely out of necessity. I thought that was going to be how you cast Bruce Davison. You're like, this little guy comes in and didn't get the orderly role. So I gave him a bigger role, short eyes. Bruce Davis. Yeah, not 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 quite, you know. Yeah. Ozana, it was like, Ozana's raid, Bruce, and he's yeah. like, what? Who? Oh, what? Um he's he's so good. He's just one of the best actors. Oh, I, yeah. I love that guy. That that guy having him on set, and anytime I've had like veteran actors and work work with them before, you know, you want to stop what you're doing at all times and just tell like and just say, like, oh my god, what was it like being, you know, scientist number two in close encounters of the third kind? And you know what? Fucker has stories. Like yeah. he's got stories for years. He's I mean, he's worked with everyone. Bruce, yeah, he's worked been, with everybody. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been there. He's done that. Like he has been through the shit. Like even when, like we had like a couple rough days, he didn't bat an eyelash. He was just like, "That's production," you know. Like, but not in a way that was like cynical. He just he has seen and every permutation of what a production goes through more than anybody else on that set and i'm sure he's seen it all before and he just rolled with it man like he just kind of went just look just tell me where you need me to be if anything i'll go read my book and when you're ready for me let me know and at first i was like does he give a shit like does he is he, is he invested in my movie and then you sit him down and you know you tell him what you know what scene we're doing and everything and then next thing you know he is on it like he just the second you call action and he started affecting his voice and he started getting a little swishy like he just disappeared the second you call cut he's you know so when i was you know like when i was doing x-men with brian singer i'm like are we having should we be having this conversation right now bruce i don't know i don't like is that cool is that, are we gonna get canceled no okay we're mm-hmm. good all right back to one um but it's also interesting it's a little spoilery but he's not he's not also playing exactly himself and that makes for no. a good mysterious character. Like, you know, there, Whoa. there's something under there that even by the end of the movie, you don't totally know who that figure was. And I think that's a very effective thing about the film. It keeps you wondering a little that bit. Was, that was something that we organically worked on. And this is where like someone recently was like, that's not a Lovecraft movie at all. I'm like, uh. okay, uh, I get it because it doesn't. And you know, and I asked him why and there's no tentacles. I'm like, that's Does it really always need to have 
tentacles you to know, be a Lovecraft, Lovecraft story. Like always with... put in tentacles. No, it's, you know, the, the cosmic horror of it all, like the thing that I got really excited about, and this is purely for Bruce, is that, you know, in the script, um, F from Weight is really the first embodiment of this entity, the first time that we meet them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what, or whether you it's, you know, Ephraim Waite or Asa Waite, you know, like one of those two is going to be the first time that the audience is introduced to this nefarious force, this entity. And the more and more we started kind of breaking down the script, the more and more I'm going, I don't have any scene where we have like, you know, the end of the relic or end of days or something like that. By the way, good end of days uh, discussion. Before. That was, was that was my first time watching it, by the way. <laughs> That's crazy. But you know, in if this was a '90s movie, there would be some big CG moment yeah. where something's coming out of someone's body, and it's like dancing, or, or it looks like that thing from the gate, you know, where it's like coming out of the floor. We had none of that. Okay, that, that would have been cool, Joe. Actually, yeah, you shouldn't have mentioned the gate. Say, you shouldn't have mentioned the gate. I <laughs> won a giant creature bursting out of the floor, but that's okay. We can save that for I, the next. You know one. what? That'll be for a more suitable flesh. We'll make sure that we have. Yeah, stop motion. Uh, Call Tibor. Get Tibor yeah. on the phone. Multiple arms, little baby arms doing that. its thing. I would love that. Guys, old guys falling to the ground and turning into 12. It's one of the best scenes ever. It's beautiful. Ever, ever. Yeah, I love that. It's magic. Movie. That's the thing. It's I, magic when you have a moment I, like that. Yeah. Still, whenever I show people that movie for the first time, even they've turned, like, like Becca's never seen it before. And I was like, this is PG thirteen. Yeah, like this played at three p.m. at the multiplex when you know this was giving me nightmares more than a Friday the Thirteenth movie. That yeah. movie is still so scary, so effective. Because yeah. they anyway. ran the gate like on. I remember watching it on, on HBO Cinemax or HBO. Yeah. That was it. It was on and HBO so, all the time. Yeah, like it was just such an idle movie, and like when the guy's looking at his hand and it's got like the eyeball in it, like and the. Oh. Thing, the the handyman in the closet. Yeah, so oh good. my god, that shit fucked me up. Like I saw that way too young. I have to show that to my kids. They need that level of trauma. Yeah, it's, I'm on it. I think it is a better gateway horror movie for kids because a lot of people talk about how Poltergeist is a good gateway movie for kids, and it is because it is legitimately. No, scary. I think it fucks you up too much. It. I think Poltergeist. Yes. Oh. It totally, it made me a horror kid in the long run, but for like five years, yeah. I couldn't sleep. Like I started probably at five or whatever, and it fucked me up. Yeah, no, you know? no. Poltergeist fucked me up badly, but there's something about the gate that is, and I think it's mainly because like when you look at Poltergeist, Poltergeist is coming from the purview of the parents more than yeah. it is the kids. The kids have their moments, but it's really Craig T. Nelson and um, um, what's her name, um, Joanne uh, Joe Beth Williams. Yeah. yeah, it's really their movie more than anything else, and they have to protect the kids. The Gate is a movie shot for the kid point of view, yeah. and it is a kid's nightmare. And I think that that plays so much better with like younger kids because then they get to put themselves in little Stevie Dorf's uh, shoes and the you know the nerdy kid who ends up being in gate two which was a total what well, I think that word but, gateway um, is uh, is about um they're also in control they're they're in control of their yeah, fates yeah. the kids versus when you just fuck someone up like a poltergeist or saying you get terrified that isn't necessarily gateway it might not bring you in it might make you a horror fan in the long run but gateway I think yeah. it's more like the monster squad and things like gate because you're empowering yeah. the kids to be the ones in the adventure you know it's they're they're the ones who have to solve the problem yeah. and ultimately they do yeah. and now all I think of is 
You've been bad. And the <laughs> fucking dad's face melts. Oh, God. And Phantasm's the other greatest. I, I think Phantasm's in that same category because mm-hmm. the kid is just so good. Like, the, it's one of the best young the performances. It is good, but man, mm-hmm. that movie, I when I watched that, um, they did a retrospective of Phantasm and then they showed Ravager at the at Beyond. Oh, yeah, Post I was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, we were there. Yeah. And that brand new, like, restoration that J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. did, I, uh, I, I had nightmares that night. I've Brilliant seen that movie, movie so many times, yeah. but that movie is, it's still whole. It's one, it's one thing if a movie still holds up, it's mm-hmm. another movie. It's another thing. If a movie can be so powerful, you know, whether or not you want to chalk it up to dream logic or what have you, that's fine. That movie still is legitimately terrifying in all the right places. It is a waking nightmare. It is yeah. a, you know, 95 minute, nightmare in someone's soul and, and think about it it's um, a very cosmic horror in a way that isn't at all lovecraftian it's its oh, own yeah. version of a cosmic horror film which is super impressive like to just have a kind of a fresh take on that feeling i think you're yeah, told, I, I mean included, the fact that he world built like that yeah. too it's so true. yeah i included phantasm yeah. in the lecture that i gave last week talking about i didn't even see phantasm until i was 20 something mm-hmm. but that we did have this this time period in the late 80s, early 90s, where we were having this influx of, of cosmic horror. And it wasn't even termed so at the time. And we were seeing it in a variety of different places. It wasn't just like The Thing and, you know, Event Horizon and things like this. Like Jacob's Ladder goes there. Mm-hmm. Like it was the... Yeah. Like we were just seeing this weird influx for about a seven year period where it was just in the mouth of madness. Well, I remember when those movies came out, they were considered supernatural thrillers. Yep. That I remember that being used a lot. Um, you know, like it, but you're right, cosmic horror wasn't really like a a a, a not like a, a term that people used very often, or at least to sell a movie. And, but technically, um, the gate yeah. is as well. Like I would classify, there yeah. is a version of the gate that is so goddamn Lovecrafty, and I mean, even the monsters in it—it it just it the body morphing, like because yep. the, the whole thing that I posit cosmic horror on is its fear of the unknown, and then when you get right. the knowledge of the unknown that's when you realize how insignificant you are, that there's something bigger out there. And there's usually like a body transformation that happens with it. And it hits like every single one of those notes. That's why I'm so bummed that you're not going to be at the screening at USC tomorrow night. Uh, And I get it. You have, you know, you have a lot of, (laughs) we have to go to Knoxville. Uh, You know, of course. Hey, your movie's playing there too. We can can talk about it there. Yeah. You know what? You guys are going to do the Q&A for me. I think it's right before we get on the plane when we leave, so we might actually be yeah. able to do that. <laughs> Damn it. But to bring it back to the, like, the cosmic horror in Suitable Flesh, like, that, that's exactly what I, w- like, we talked about because there was a couple actors who were going like, who's the alpha? Who's the person that we're supposed to be kind of using as an archetype for our tells? Because all the actors, when we all got together, we talked about like, how are we going to uh, aesthetically, uh, let the audience know there's little tells, there's little tricks, you know, the, the crooked hand, certain words, you know, little things that would kind of tip off, tip the hat to the audience so that they at least knew up until the end of the film that they weren't being left too far behind in who is who. And I, I, I don't want to confuse the audience until I do. And that was something that we talked about over and over again in Zoom calls when we got together. And, um, you know, when, when we quickly realized, like, we never have that moment where the entity exposes itself. It exposes itself in other ways. But that, to me, 
the fact that there is no, and I'm not giving, I don't want to give too much away, but there is no embodiment of the entity. It is this nebulous thing that has been floating through the, you know, the ether in, you know, in history before. And without giving too much away, it's going to probably still continue to do that. That to me is so much more terrifying than, you know, let letting the theater of the mind, let the audience conjure up where this thing came from, what it is now and where it could be. But then to go back to Bruce, uh, Bruce Davidson, see, I'm trying to bring it back around again. Um, he was the one that everyone kind of looked for is in terms of finding little things, because, you know, when um, when you read the script, Ephraim Waite was the one that kept being referred to as him or it or the the thing or the entity. It wasn't the entity itself. It was Ephraim. It was always Ephraim, Ephraim, Ephraim. So when we met with everybody together, Bruce actually recorded everyone else's dialogue on his phone so that when, um, like any of the scenes that Heather was in when the entity was inside of um, her or with Barbara or uh, Judah, they had Bruce's version of what the dialogue was hmm. just so that there would be a, a different kind of iteration so that they weren't just kind of going like they just, they needed um, uh, a flagpole. They needed some kind of like flag in the ground for them to say like, ah, okay, this is how this version of the entity would have said this or would have done that. It was great. And then to have all these actors go, I feel like we're getting a master class from this actor who has been in so many things before. Like Judah was just like, tell me more, Bruce, tell me more. Mm -hmm. You know, it was amazing to see how much respect each of the actors had for them, for each other, everyone, um, you know, and then, you know, to, to uh, roll it back around even further to ask, to answer your question that you asked about 35 minutes uh, ago, um, how we got the rest of the cast was, you know, and I'm sure like, for you, Becca, you know, because just because I, I know your movie, you know, pr pretty much in and out at this point, uh, Elric, I'll be waiting for your screen or copy that you can be sending to me soon for your latest cut. Weird, weirdly um, enough, there's some similarities between these uh, totally yeah. different approaches, me and your film. Like when I was watching, I was like, boy, oh, because oh, they both do revolve around sexual stuff. It, so it but was like vastly very interesting. different tones and approaches. Yeah, that, they, they're, they're like, it would make an interesting I double. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. The moment that you I can't that wait. you were doing something, I, I was like, oh my God, I like both of you guys, when you like, when both of you guys were like talking about making, you know, like making your first film or making like with Glorious when we were outside the New Beverly, and you were oh, talking yeah. about it. And I went, Ryan Quentin, um, to go back to that. Oh, yeah, like, that's the, the casting. Know, when, yeah. yeah. No, Joe when, is the I remember. reason that we no, got yeah. Ryan. But Ryan, you know, to me, and, and I don't know if this is true for you, but like once you set that one actor into that, like when you fit that, that, circle you know into that that like sphere hole whatever that look very weirdly sexual um everything kind of falls into place and everything solidifies because mm -hmm. for some for some actors they go well if they're in it then i want to be in it you know and when heather was brought up because we we cast for about six months and it was a lot of you know people going like i don't know there's too much sex in this or it's too provocative that was that was the biggest issue that most of the actors um, that we approached had and when Barbara was the one who brought up Heather Graham, I don't know where it came from. She just kind of like, what about Heather Graham? And I went like, huh. And what's interesting is that most people, when you say Heather Graham, you know, they go to Boogie Nights or Bowfinger or um, Austin Powers um, for cameo on Scrubs. You know, they go for more the lighter stuff, the kookier stuff. 
the two movies that I went to immediately that made me go, you know what? That's a fucking great idea. The first one is Drugstore Cowboy. Mm -hmm. I remember watching her because I was in love with her after um, License to Drive. Mm -hmm. When I saw her in License to Drive, I'm like, she's dreamy. Uh, But then I saw her in Drugstore Cowboy and went, huh, like, it was a, a very disturbing she, performance. She was named after a car in license Mercedes. Her name was Mercedes yes. yep. Lane yep. in License to Drive. Yep. I remember oh, that movie call. so well. All too well. <laughs> um, and then uh, it was the scene in the Boogie Nights, um, not the first half, but the scene in the limo. Yeah, yeah, very the one where, scene, where yeah. they're shooting it. We're going to make you know cinema history right here on videotape. But there is a snap zoom to her face when she looks at the camera and realizes that this is a kid that she went to high school with and she's got to have sex with him on camera in this situation, probably gapped out of her brain. That look has haunted me forever. And that was the moment that I went, that's someone that I like who I would love to work with on this because I know so many different iterations of who she is and what she can do and where she could go. And especially with a part like this, that I have to have very clear definitions of who these different people are in the same body with the same actor. Not easy, not easy at all. Um, and you know, we with other actors in other roles like uh, Asa Waits' part, um, you know, we were having to test a lot of kids, and uh, you know, some people just couldn't get into the separation from one character to the other. It was like always very much like a. Amal- like it was amalgam of that. There weren't clearly defined versions of here's a 20 year old kid and here's the dirty old man or the entity or what have you. But it took like a 10 or 15 minute Zoom call with Heather. It was a mu- it was a much longer call, but within 15 minutes I went, you want to do this movie with me? She goes, I was just going to ask you, do you want to do the movie? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, let's go. And once we got her in, everything else clicked into place. Um, you know, getting Judah was um, was hard, but once we kind of let him know like, oh, Heather Graham is in, he was like, that's a really cool idea. And then Jonathan Check, I had worked with him on Creep Show. And that was like, literally, I walked in one day and we were, because I, what I wanted to do with that part was I didn't want it to be, the way it was written, it was kind of schlubby, you know, it, 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 was, it was written almost as if you almost expected Elizabeth Derby to be like, see ya, I'm going to go have a tryst with this dude. I wanted to really play off of the gay archetype or the queer archetype of like the twink and the bear as being these kind of two sides of the male masculine coin. Mm -hmm. And I thought like, well, knowing that I had Judah and, you know, and I don't think he'll take offense at this, but he is like the perfect twink. um, I needed to have a dichotomy to that. I need, I, I didn't want to have someone go, of course it's gotta be, you know, like you gotta go with the, the cute little young, you know, young guy. I needed someone to go, oh, God, but look at how fucking strapped that dude is. I wanted him to be a, a, a hunk. I wanted him to be a fucking hunk. And uh, having worked with Jonathan, I walked in one day and Becca was just like, what about Sheck? And I'm like, what about Sheck? Hold on. Hey, do you want to be in this movie? It's a Lovecraft movie. Dot, 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 dot. Yes, I'm fucking in. That was it. That was it. He was in. Um Barbara was actually the hardest person to cast, um, mainly be, or like that part, because 
she did not want to be in the movie and not for because of the quality or anything it was she just wanted to produce and i don't blame her you know like she's become uh, like a veritable force when it comes to knowing the genre knowing what it takes to make a, you know a, a genre film on a budget on a schedule she's she's been around the block with that before she's been on sets on both sides of the camera and i don't i I didn't push her at all when she said, I don't want to be in the, you know, I, I, I just want to produce. I'm like, that's fine. No problem at all. And then she saw the package that we basically put together between all of the cast, what, like what we had developed the script into all the little things that we had kind of brought together. And I think she just kind of got FOMO from it. She was just like, man, this seems like a lot of fun. And it was actually, it was also Mark Ward, was like, why the fuck do you not have um, Barbara in this? And they weren't involved at the time, but um, but you know, I, I've known Mark for years, and he knew the script and everything. And he was just like, why isn't Barbara in this movie? And I'm like, I know, right? Like, eh, let, let me ask her again. And then it was like, oh, okay, fine. The second that she said yes, and I don't know if you guys have worked with her directly before, um, like on camera. Yeah, that woman puts in fucking work. Like I worked with her on Creep Show, and there is, and and I had a great cast between Brian Watton and and Brian Meyer in the first episode that I had done, and then Eric Edelstein and Barbara in Pipe Screams. Um, I never had an actor send me so many videos of her doing like iterations of her character, and not in an annoying way. She was testing shit out. She was doing. She was putting in the homework more than most other actors I've ever worked with before. Hmm. Wow. She was so prepared she knew i like i i hope she doesn't take an insult to this but the closest person i can think of that i've come into contact with that puts in that kind of work that i've heard puts in that kind of preparation is nicholas cage where nicholas cage will be like listen man i know the entire script back and forth i like i know my part i know their part i know everybody's part like i i am fully ensconced in this man i got this that's barbara she she knew that part. She could have been our script supervisor. And you know what? I wish she was at times. But <laughs> like she, she was so prepared. And yet she could be so prepared. And then the second I call cut, she's going, okay, so um, let's make sure that lunch is here. And let's, uh, did the grip truck come or is the location secure for tomorrow? Okay, great. Let's make sure that that happens. Like she was so on it. But that's, wow. that's just the power of Barbara Frampton is that like she can be able to switch between actor and producer like on, on a dime. So put that all together. And then Bruce, Bruce was just, you know, like originally we were so close to getting Tom Atkins. Um, and the thing is, that, and I'll be honest, like we were going for the somewhat like stunt casting in a way, in a way I, I would have loved to have worked with um, Chris Sarandon, but he wasn't available. Yeah. Tom Atkins was like, uh, I, I, you know, this is a really cool script, but you know, I'm, I'm working in Philadelphia on my TV show. And then Barbara just knew Bruce and called him up and Bruce said, sure, that was it. And I can't think of anyone else that would have been better. So I got really blessed with this cast. He also like, looks like I, a I look scholar to me. Yeah. Bruce has the oh, scholar yeah. old no, scholar. Has... Atkins is a much more blue collar than that in that sense, you know? Yeah. Bruce no, is very much. Yeah, that's something that actually Dennis and I talked about um, when we did our panel is that why, how you update Lovecraft, like why you change him for screen. And it's always like he always wrote the same protagonist. And I love Lovecraft, but he always wrote 
older white dude who's really educated gets into Mm. trouble in some capacity. And Bruce is that. He's like that level. But we're seeing the movie through more interesting eyeballs in this instance. So it's like- glad you brought that up. Embodies old school Lovecraft. And then we get, because he's the entrance to the book and everything, but we get the story through a much more interesting means of transportation. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had a conversation with Bruce because I think Bruce had never seen Reanimated before. And of course, Mm -hmm. I told all the actors, like, you got to watch this movie, this movie, this movie, you got to watch all that stuff. And Bruce had never seen Reanimator before. And we were a couple days before we were shooting. And he's like, hey, Joe, just want to let you know, I watched Reanimator. That was a crazy movie. And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? And um, he he mentioned how he goes, you know, if if anything, I think my character would have been Herbert West mm-hmm. in the 80s. Yeah. And I go, you're fucking right. Like, holy shit, if this was your story. And that's the thing that I love about Lovecraft too. You know, a lot of people have been asking, like, how do you adapt Lovecraft? And it's not, it's not easy. You have someone like Dennis Paoli who can really crack the code and you take it from there. But um, one of the things that I noticed a lot, um, having reread the book and re- you know read other short stories of his while we were kind of making it to kind of get the feel of it is Lovecraft is so good at having characters tell stories, like getting it from their point of view, whether it's in first person or someone is telling someone else's story. Those, and then you know, ultimately becomes in a cinematic form, a very long flashback. But they are tales upon tales. It's like a hat on a hat, but it's a tail on a tail. And um, you know, when Bruce was saying this, he goes, "But this isn't my story. This is her story." And I go, "That's exactly it. Go back to one and get on get on your fucking mark, Bruce." Um, that poor guy. I felt so bad. His last night, he had to lay on the ground for the entire time because his um, his stand-in didn't show up. <laughs> so. He had to be on the ground the entire time during all the sex scenes. And he's just going, how's it going up there? Is it, how's the weather up there? Is it hot? Is it hot up there? Like, hmm. Thank God Bruce, Bruce Davis is here to cut through the fucking tension. Not there was, that there was, but anytime you're doing a sex scene, it, it can get a little awkward, no matter what, as prepared as you are. But then you have this wonderfully crusty old dude that's laying on the ground, just twiddling his thumbs, going like, there's sex going on up there, isn't there? Yes, there is, isn't there? Yes, I love this. Yes, yes. So we dedicated one of the shots of the movie for him. It's uh, in this in one of the sex scenes. And this was a camera that I had just grabbed and like thrown on the ground because I love um, sex scenes in movies that um, find different angles. Like, um, you guys remember Monster's Ball? Oh, yeah. That whole sex scene is comprised of shots that shouldn't be in sex scenes, but they are. You know, like shots of, you know, looking through uh, uh, grates in a birdcage or just like weird angles that make no sense, you know, systematically. It's not the usual like hands upon hands and Tony Scott lips against neon. There's one sex scene in Monsters Ball and I think it's in Monsters Ball. It's where he hooks up with the prostitute and she's in his house for like maybe two minutes. It's shot in a wide from the other side mm-hmm. of the room in one shot. Like it's yeah. all one shot. It's if there's so no coverage. unpleasant. Exactly. You know, and, and that's not that I wanted to go unpleasant, but I wanted to find. That's just a perspective, details. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like when you're having sex, sometimes when you're looking at things, not that you're not focused on your, your, your partner, but you find details that become kind of ingrained in your head. And there was this one moment when I like we were kind of 
doing the deed and it was a very close set and everyone was very, you know, like protected or whatever. But there was something that Heather's foot was doing with her shoe. And it was just bouncing like off in the corner. And I went, and we brought the camera down and I got that. But I also noticed that Bruce's body is like slayed out in the background and he's just sitting there dead. I'm like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna make Bruce so happy that I'm at least capturing a moment where he is in the scene while there's a sexual detail going on. So that's fine. Ah, the power of Bruce Davison. Yeah. He's a fearless guy. Uh, recommending everyone watch Short Eyes, which is probably the, oh. the performance you would, the role you would least want to play in your life, which is basically he's playing a convicted pedophile who just enters prison and he's then told what a Short Eyes is in prison. And it is brutal movie an unbelievable movie that yeah uh, the new bev championed at one point but uh yeah he's so good in that that's right that and last summer they're two movies that are mm-hmm. printed on my brain oh, yeah you know? god so good yeah great actor wow well we had brought you in tonight joe to do a topic but we ended up spending the entire show just talking about so sorry Oz. i think no, we need a part two that means we're just going to bring you back in a couple of months to talk about. We had planned to talk about New York sleaze films because we know, oh, I know. We love them and we love them. And we haven't talked about them on the show yet. We haven't done it as a topic. So we're going to bring you back in like yes. two when months you don't to talk about New York sleaze. Right before. Yeah. <laughs> Where your cognitive yes, faculties are higher probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, when I don't have a, a movie coming out or an, or an accident going on, uh, like like in the interim, that would be There's great. There's a because... strike happening. It's I know you've yeah, been the doing strike. You have been handling oh. all the press for this. I have been. It's insane how much I have seen you over the past couple of weeks. I hate everywhere, it. Oh, everywhere. You're just I, and I'm sorry. I, I feel so bad. Like I'm sure there's plenty of people who have already muted me on Twitter or X or whatever. But someone's got to do it. You know, yeah. like when you have an indie film and. You don't have, you know, your your stars who are usually, especially one of them who has always done the talk show rounds and, you know, been able to go on the talk shows and being like the face of the movie. Not that we hired her for that, but it helps. Um, yeah, we're having to do the dog and pony show is not the uh, easiest thing in the world. Now, that said, look, for as scrappy as this movie is, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of what we did. Yeah. You know, I'm proud that it, it we, we got it out there and we made it, you know, it ultimately the way we wanted to. And, you know, I've now realized, and I'm sure you guys, you know, go through this in one form or another, but, you know, once you release the movie onto the world, you can't do anything. There isn't a Stuart Gordon that's going to go like, kid, I got some notes for you. You know, you can't go back to the well with that. And, you know, we were really blessed with, um, you know, the way that it was received at Tribeca and other festivals thus far. I know the other shoe's going to drop. Believe me, I look at Letterboxd, it's either going like, wow, or, you know, and that I, the thing that I and I've realized with every film that I've done is that you don't have control over the subjectivity of your audience. Mm-hmm. They are going, they are going to bring their own baggage to it. Some people don't like sex in movies. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people don't like cosmic horror. Some people don't like, you know, order leaves with mustaches. Whatever it is, so like they're going to either like it or not like it on their own accord. Maybe they have a bad day. Maybe they have a great day. Who knows? Maybe it gets a blade. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I had a movie that was, um, um, I'm going to be very, very careful with the way I say this, but there was a movie that was accepted of mine that um, I found out later that almost didn't get accepted because the screener copy didn't get one of the programmers laid. (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. Wow. Sometimes this shit happens, man. You know, and, I, at the very least, I know 
that what we what we did we set out to do which was to continue this miskatonic verse kind of um uh mythology that we you know that was set up by uh Stuart that was set up by Dennis and Brian and Barbara and Bruce and Jeffrey and all those people that we grew up with with reanimator with from beyond and if i could harness just a a smidge of the feeling that i got when i saw those movies you know the the danger of it the the sexiness of it the um the taboo of it all the cosmic of it all you know and that's a, that's honestly you know like all attributed to these filmmakers that made me who i am so yeah. if this is my way of saying thank you to them then great you know Beautiful. and hopefully people dig it and if they don't you know no harm no foul see you next time there was also a and oh, sorry Oh, I was just going to give a quick shout out to um, Dave Matthews because you used the same uh, DP that I did for Glorious yep. and I will shoot anything with that man now. I love him so much. And you he, are he the reason outdid himself in this as well. You are the reason why I, I hired him because, um, so you know, like I was saying before, really quick, um, I wanted to make this movie with as many um female keys as possible because like i like that from the beginning when i was making my lookbook i wanted i wanted this to be a female gaze art film now the first person to tell you i have a penis so like what can you do um so there was only so far that my gaze could have gone and i wanted to surround myself with as many female artisans as possible to help me along in creating elizabeth derby's story the way that we wanted it to look we wanted to have the objective gaze that would hopefully be attributed to that um, it didn't work out with the DP because of a scheduling reason. I found a really great DP from Australia. She was amazing. And then she got a TV show from Apple TV. What are you going to do? Um, and then at the last minute, um, like we ended up talking to Dave and Dave was like our liaison, uh, at iVox at the time. And he was just going to relegate himself to B camera. He actually even said, he's like, you know, I really just kind of want to just watch, you know, like, and that and there sounds is something to be so said. much like him. Oh my God. He just there, has there this laid back said. Southern drawl. He's just so you chill. You need that on set. Yeah. Like I loved the fact that like, you know, I'm a bit of a Tasmanian devil on set in a good way. Like I'm always trying to be positive, but I'm like, choo, choo, choo all over the place. I'm a and cheerleader, kinda... bubbly, just, you know, raring to go I, practically yeah. like on speed the whole time. And he is yep. just chill. And whereas I chill. walk in and I'm like, that's a movie. He is <laughs> just so unflappable the whole time. When we, when we would have moments where I would, uh, cause I have this, an, another weird tradition that I have on set is anytime that there's like a, print take i go fuck yeah and they have a little thing that's like on the slate that's a fuck yeah take um so every time i'd be like yeah like the the backup camera moment right that was a big moment that i had to get right and when we did get it right on the third take i'm like fist pumping and everything and Dude, i look over at david i he's had just like, figured oh I had figured that you had had to CG comp that like you had to like black the the screen and then you actually had a camera kind of going into the person's face. Well, let's I not spoil that, that scene too much, guys, because yeah. that yeah. that was one of the that's, that's one of, I will say that's one of the moments of, you know, when you watch a movie, something you've never seen before. I'd never seen that before quite like that. And I saw so I was like, oh, this is a great thing to see in a movie like that. Yeah. So we haven't overly spoiled it, but let's no, not say any more on it because that's a good I will yeah, say, surprise. I thought it was a comp. I'm so impressed now. The, the last, well, I, like w when you have Dave Matthews there, and he can be the uh, the heir of calm. When I'm going, yeah, that's a whole you know, like you need that on yeah. set. And but it was watching Glorious 
And, you know, cause I'd seen Jacob's wife and I liked it, you know, like, I liked the way it looked and everything, but what he was able to do with what little resources you had in that little space. Yep. And then it was, I think it was me emailing you and then talking to Quantin and just saying like, you know, how, you know, like, is this guy cool? And both of you were like, he's, he's legit. And thank God he did it, man. Cause we would, we'd still be shooting now if we didn't <laughs> have Dave Matthews. I have tried to get him on other projects, which ended up getting canceled because of the strike or more postponed. Mm. We'll wait. We're waiting for everything to come back up. I put um, a pin in it. Yeah. Yeah. Even some of the ones where like, I'm supposed to go to Canada when they're asking me for a list of my favorite DPs. He's on the top. I don't know if he even realizes that yet, but I'm like so ready to take him with me to Canada or wherever I go. So yeah. yeah. Dave Matthews, you roll. Well, the last um, thing I so- wanted to say about Joe, there was, uh, because I do, this is interesting because you're obviously making it in, in with the, the shadow of Stuart, obviously right it, it, to an extent but you know what it reminded me of and like quite strongly and this is a very general kind of ne- you know the vibe of the masters of horrors the seer you know and i think because mm. dennis is such a big part of that like paoli wrote multiple episodes and, but when it ended i kind of had this feeling like i'd been in that world before a little bit and i was like oh i know what it's reminding it's reminding me of the feeling when you would watch those you know because they're like they are they weren't all 70 minutes or whatever they were but there was mm-hmm. a feeling of a similar world and a similar mm-hmm. vibe i thought and and i haven't seen right. that in a movie in a long time i guess I think part of that is because like um, aesthetically we were going for, you know, the review, some reviews that have come out have been like, it's very Skinamax. And I'm like, sure. You know, like I was watching a lot of those types of movies when we were kind of coming up with the aesthetics of it. You know, a lot of the erotica from the late eighties and early nineties had a very particular look to it. Um, but one of the things with uh, masters of far was that it, what it was in this weird purgatory of, it's not quite a movie, yet it's not an episode of Tales from the Crypt, which was usually between 23 and 26 mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. So structurally, you know, it is, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a small movie in certain respects. It is a very insular movie. It is one, like, snippet of this larger Arkham kind of miskatonic verse that you get a peek into. You know, like, if we were ever going to explore this kind of storyline again, of course I would want to expand it and, you know, kind of see what would what would the entity do now in this situation or that situation? But this was one story. And I felt like if we tried to expand it with anything that would felt like scopier, it would dilute the, the fact that this was this one person's tale and one person's cautionary tale. So, and, and, and a lot of the aesthetics from a lot of those masters of horror movies, especially even like the one that Stuart and Dennis did together, um, has that feel? They don't, you know. Other than maybe Dante's, the the what was it, um, Election oh, Day? Coming, yeah, yeah. That's the only, uh, that, that's the one. Um, they don't really have big scopes to it. They were somewhat more um, personal, you know, in their storytelling. Mm-hmm. So no, I can see that parallel totally. Yeah, and I'm saying that as a good thing because yeah. like if there's, I miss that kind of format. Yeah. That like it's a tone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think when you go bigger on some of these, then it does become oh, it's another Miskatana. It's another. But, you know, kind of a little bit like um, one of the Guillermo del Toro episodes of the of his show. Uh, Pikmin's yeah, model. Pikmin's, like, I, it's I liked it. beautifully I made, liked it. but I, I already know what that is due to due to having too many resources in a weird sense. Like, it, I don't know. There's something I like. Also, I like the modern take on it. I like to see a modern, like a truly modern contemporary people doing contemporary things. And suddenly now we clashes with this thing where 
you know, whether it's just Lovecraftian, you also have like, there's a lot of allusions to uh, rituals and you don't necessarily see them play out, mm-hmm. but there's enough allusions. So you know that world because you've seen movies before. <laughs> like, you you know, like, I don't need yeah. to see you play that part out, you know? So anyway, yeah. uh, great stuff. I hope you feel better physically. Thank you. I hope you don't slip into a dark yeah. tonight. Please don't. I'm sorry. What? What were you guys saying? <laughs> uh, like, I'm, I'm fine. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, no. I'd like thank, thank you guys. Um, this was uh, definitely a, a bright spot in, <laughs> in a very, very weird day of mine uh, because I am a fan of the show. And uh, yeah, like we got to Please have me back because uh, I have this oh, whole yeah. list of fucking sleeves so that I've been dying to watch yeah. or we- dying to talk about. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this topic literally for for a year now. It's been on this kind of Google Doc that I have where we kind of build out all of our um, topic but ideas. But much and longer than that, uh, years before. In fact, the last time we were all physically in the same place was Panic Fest 2019, 2018. Yeah, right. And I was eating yeah. breakfast and uh, Joe was talking to me and I said, what would you, what topic would you do? I don't know if it was this or Pierce, whichever show we were talking about. I said, what would you do? And you said New York City Sleazecore. And I, I remember, yeah. so that was years ago that you, so either way, this is destined yeah, to happen. Yeah, we were at the, uh, we were at the, we were the chicken and pickle. I remember that. Yeah. The, the chicken pickle, and... that place was so good. Yep. Sitting next yeah. to you and AJ Bowen. That's who we were all together. Mm-hmm. And then after that, there was nothing for a couple of years at all. Yeah. Started to close, but here we are. Well, let's bring it all yeah. back again. Let's yeah. like, I'm, I'm ready to do it whenever you guys are ready to do it. And somebody uh, cancels, just let me know. Sounds good. Let's do we're it. We're in. Thank you so much, Joe. Have an awesome night. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please remember, if you're looking for some super deep cuts during uh, the in-between of our regular Colors of the Dark shows, you can head over to our Patreons where we place all the really fucking weird stuff. Thank you all so much for the support. We are headed to Knoxville for this coming weekend, so we hope to see you there. And for everybody else, we will be back in two weeks with a killer Halloween episode. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 